This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. We are in a study uh, on the book of Matthew. We just launched this study last week. And as many of you know, we love to study the Bible uh, in an expository way where we break down the scripture uh, and we study verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Uh, And last week, we studied on the book of Matthew, all right? How many of y'all took notes? Can I see your hands? All right. What, anybody, who, who, who could tell me what the sub, what the topic or the title of last week's message was? Who said that? You got... Did you get a book last week? Did you get a journal? So who said that second? Okay, Nicole, uh, both of you? All right, here you go. You get a journal too, so. Uh, hey, you, you, I'm not giving any more journals, so uh, those, I gave one last week and that was the last one. But hey, I wanted to encourage you to take notes. Uh, you know, it's, it's so amazing when we can study the word together. And I have a good word this morning that God has spoken to me that I can't wait to share uh, with you. The worship team is going to come back later, lead us in a time of intercession and prayer. But uh, I want to jump to Matthew chapter 2. We left off in Matthew chapter 1 last week. And of course, we're not going to go throughout the book of Matthew. We're not going to go verse by verse. We skipped a few verses in the the first first part of Matthew chapter 1 because we, uh, there was some passages of scripture in there that had to do with, you know, names and a lot of generations and uh, so-and-so begat so-and-so. And we skipped that part and we got to another one. We, we talked about the humanness of Jesus, that God in his divine mercy chose to send his son Jesus in a form of a baby. And we talked about the significance of why that was important as to why Jesus Christ needed to come to this earth as a savior in the form of a human and how he gets us because he walked where we walked. In Matthew 2, we're, we're introduced to three groups of people that I want to talk about this morning. So go with me to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to verse, and we're going to go all the way, way to verse number 12. All right, here's the passage. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts golden frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, would you speak to us through this word, God? This is a word that I know is much needed for our church, for us as a church, for your bride, for us as worshipers. I pray, God, that our attitude of worship and our posture of worship will be so pleasing in your sight, that, Lord, we will be joyful worshipers, and that we will not catch ourselves slacking, God, because we know, Lord, that you reign in the praises of your people. Give me the ability to share this word like you spoke it to me, 
And Holy Spirit, would you minister to the people this morning? Would you give them the ability to understand this word, to take this word, and to be able to apply it to their lives in ways that even I cannot understand? I pray, God, that your word will come through in a powerful way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to title my message this morning, Phony Religious or Joyful Worship. Is your worship phony, religious, or joyful? There are three positions and three attitudes that we will learn in the passage today. Not that I'm saying that this list is all-encompassing. Not that I'm saying that these are the only postures or attitudes of worship that one can have or Christians can have. But in this passage, we study about three postures, and these postures may be plenty in different passages of Scripture. You may probably be wondering, Pastor, why you speak from Matthew 2? Uh, weren't we supposed to study this back in uh, December when we were studying the, when we were in the Advent series and when we were studying about Jesus and, the, you know, and, and, and his birth and all of that stuff? I know Christmas is over. But I'm going to be cliche for a second. I'm going to tell you this. Christians celebrate Jesus not one day in the year, but all year long. Thank you. I, th that's true. We don't need a season to read this particular passage or to celebrate that Jesus came to this earth. Christians celebrate it all year long. And the Magi didn't happen, didn't encounter Jesus on Christmas Day. This story that we read wasn't a Christmas day happening. It wasn't, a, it, wasn't, it wasn't the story of the shepherds that got to see him on that day. The angel said, on this day is born a savior. It wasn't the story of the wise men, right? They didn't, it may have been weeks. It may have been days. It may have even been years, some theologians say, before the wise men actually got an audience with the king that they were searching. This king called Jesus. How do we know this? Theologians will break it down and they will say that after, uh, in verse number one, the Bible is very clear when it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. There's historians that say that this didn't happen immediately. It could have happened a week later. It could have happened, nobody knows for certainty, but we all know a few things about this story and about this narrative that show us that this wasn't an immediate happening. In verse number 11, the Bible actually says, the wise men came to the house that they were staying in, right? This debunks the entire Christmas narrative. The, the nativity scene, the, you know, the, the, the songs that we sing. We three kings of Ori. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, it, it debunks, I know that wasn't the, bear with me, I love singing even when I'm not supposed to, but, but it debunks all of those things. Right? Because here are these mystical, you know, creatures that we conjure up and that we come up and it's on Christmas cards, so on and so forth, that we have this idea of Christmas, this idea of Jesus' coming, this idea of who Christ is, that we get caught up in those semantics, we get caught up in those data, we get caught up in those things that we don't understand the trueness of this passage. The Bible says they walked into a house. Jesus and Mary and, and Joseph was not invited. They went knocking on every house and every door and nobody would let them in. They saw their tattered clothes probably. They saw that they didn't have any money on them to afford and, and they couldn't afford that luxury deluxe suite that everybody else was getting. So they got themselves a manger where Jesus was born. But the Bible says the wise men came into the house which possibly says that this was at a, at a later point of time. The scriptures also say that when Herod was trying to search for the babies or look for the babies to kill all of them in the next, in, in the, in the next few verses, uh, not, we're not studying that today, the Bible says that he looked for, for kids that were all under the age of two. So we don't know how old Jesus was at this point of time or that context would not have been there. But the Christmas carols have confused us about the story of the birth of Jesus. The Christmas cards and the stories that we hear and the, and the Christmas plays that we watch have all confused us. There were, we see three kings, three wise men. The Bible doesn't say there were three, right? The Bible says that they were wise men that carried three gifts. 
Usually when wise men traveled, they traveled in entourages. They traveled in big groups. They had security because they had gold and frankincense and three people were not going to carry gold and travel through deserts and travel through countries. They probably had a whole group of people traveling with them. And I'm sorry if this bursts your bubble. And I'm sorry if this destroys your entire childhood narrative of the story of Jesus. But that's the truth, right? And why do I say all these? Because it is important to understand this in the context of what God is trying to speak to us this morning. Verse 1, the Bible says these are wise men from the east. Wise men, or the word used is the word magi, or, or the word magoi in Greek. Who were they? This is important, church. I want you to take notes because this is super important. These people, unless you understand this context, you will never understand the, the, the point that I'm going to try to make towards the end of this message. All right? Who were they? These were skilled men. These were men who were mathematicians, they were scientists, they were astronomers, they were advisors to kings, they were interpreters of dreams, and they influenced governments, and they also crowned kings. These men were not from the Orient, they were from Persia, or they were modern-day Iranians. Now, that would have never passed the songwriting committee uh, to, to say, we three Persian kings from Iran are. No, it, would, it would have never passed that. Nobody would have, but that's the truth. We know the Magi because of the story of Daniel. We know the historical context of the Magi because in King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel had these high-ranking officials in his court where they came and they advised him and he, 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 he nurtured them and he trained them inside of his palace. They were wise men. There was this Jewish boy who were one among those wise men that were trained up and he becomes the head of the Magi. Daniel, who was an interpreter of dreams, becomes a, 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 becomes a part of this group of people that were close advisors to the king. These guys were called on for anything, wisdom, like, like they, they were called to speak over the king. They were called to administer prayers and, 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 and consult with things, scientific, mathematics, whatever it was. They were astrologers. What were they seeking in verse number two? He's, they, the question is this, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? Here's a story. They're, they're walking all through Judea and they're, they're, they've taken a detour and, and they're like, you know, for a second the star is gone and they're like, okay, where, where is the king? I know we've come all the way here. He's somewhere around here. So he's, they're knocking on every door. They're going to everybody in the marketplace. They're literally stopping everybody and saying, hey, where is the king of the Jews? Like, you guys should know. Like, like this, like, we've been preparing. We've been ready for this moment. Does anybody know where the king of the Jews are, where the king of the Jews is? My question is this. Why would Gentile kingmakers from another part of the world come to Jerusalem to, to meet a Jewish monarch? See, Daniel talks about the Messiah coming. Daniel, one of the head of the Magi, he talks about the Messiah coming in this prophetic book. And I'm pretty sure his experience with God leads him to share his experience with his God. And Daniel's God becomes a, a topic of discussion. And people start talking, the wise men start talking about the, the men inside the fire. And how God saves them and rescues them. So here, there, this, this group of heathen astrologers and heathen people that secretly start serving a God. God of Daniel from generation to generation to generation. So this word is being passed down. Hey, there is this God of the Jews. There's, there's this promised Messiah that's coming. You better be ready for him. So we're not just dealing with a group of people that are heathen. We're dealing with a group of people that are probably have heard the good news of Jesus and heard the promised Messiah and they're readying their hearts. Man, but as I study this passage, it's so astounding how the Bible is so clear-cut in explaining three categories of worshipers in this passage of Scripture. And I don't know how many of y'all caught it, but this passage is true. There are three types of people in the story and how they respond to Jesus, and they can be a huge, beautiful lesson for us as Christians as to how God requires us and expects us to respond to Him in worship. That's why I titled my message today, The Phony, The Religious, and The Joyful. 
The category number one that you find always in churches and outside of churches are people that have this idea of God or know about this God, but they're phony. They're phony as they come. And that man is this man called Herod in the Bible. In verse number three, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. The passage that we're about to read displays the true character of Herod and why his intention to worship. He wants to worship Jesus too, or he says he wants to worship Jesus too, but we're going to study his real heart and his real motivation today. The Bible says he was deeply troubled, or in other words, to, to break it down, he started freaking out. He had like a low-key panic attack. Why? Because there's this entourage of kingmakers. There's this entourage of men that have walked into Herod's country, this country that Herod is king of. There's this group of people asking people who the new king of Israel. Come on, this, is, this has to be profound because of who this man is. Their presence started to scare Herod. Their presence started to scare the people because the people knew what kind of man this Herod was. The people are hearing this for the first time. There's a new king in town. Like this wasn't a lunatic like walking through the city or walking through the market saying, there's a new king, there's a new king. He didn't, they didn't seem crazy. They didn't seem out of their mind. They didn't seem like they lost a few nuts. Come on, am I talking to somebody? Here are a group of esteemed people, studied people, scientists, astrologers, king's advisors, and not just that, king makers. Unless and until wise men went and anointed kings and blessed kings and put the, the crown on a king, that person wouldn't be king. Uh, this is good. This is powerful. And these people are walking into the city asking the common folk, where's the king of the Jews? Where's the king of the Jews? He was just born. And people are going crazy. And as people are going crazy, Herod is freaked out. The one that freaks everybody out. And you got to understand this guy, man. He's, he's a very insecure dude. All right? And you know this about insecure people. Insecure people are easily threatened. They're easily threatened. They, they're easily threatened by people that are prettier than them. They're easily threatened by people that are smarter than them. It's all about them. The Bible says all of Jerusalem was terrified. And so was this narcissistic king called King Herod. See, King Herod was not a Jew. He did not know about the coming Messiah. His dad, Antipas, dies, and then as soon as he dies, he takes over the, 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 the throne, and he was allowed by Rome. Rome gives him the permission to take the title, the king of the Jews. This is, this is, this is important. He was given that title, and he called himself the king of the Jews. He hated competition. This dude did not want to give up that title. He was cruel. He was paranoid. You want to know what he was, he was known for? You know why the people of Jerusalem were terrified? Because this dude was known for killing his own wife. This dude was known for killing his own kids. Come on. This, this, is, this is a crazy man, a madman who is on the throne, who is about to be threatened for his place as king. Huh. He didn't want to give up the title. He kills his father-in-law. He kills his two sons because he didn't want them to be heirs to his throne eventually. Even after, that's how insecure this man was. There was a saying back in the day that it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. That's how crazy this man was. He was utterly scared to relinquish his throne. And I'm wondering how many of us can be the same way? How many of us can be a Herod? Like, this can be us. Like you and I know that turning to Jesus is an act of submission. Turning to Jesus every single day and worshiping Jesus conflicts with pride. It conflicts with your, your self-sustenance and your I got this and your, you know, we, I don't need Jesus. I don't need anybody in my life. It, it confronts and it conflicts with pride. That attitude that we have that I don't want to live for Christ. I just want to live for me. It's all about me. It's all about my selfish desires. It's about my throne. It's about my family. It's about my job. It's about my business. How many of us are guilty of pushing Christ away from the throne of our lives? 
Herod knows that there's something going down and he does not like the feeling of it. Because here's the thing, anybody that, know, that anybody that's living in a certain lifestyle that allows Jesus somewhere into the vicinity is threatened by what Jesus can do in their life. And Herod is utterly scared because he can feel something is about to change. I want to say something real, real, real deep this morning. I want you to write this down. There are Herods in this room today that can't worship Jesus truly because the idea of relinquishing and surrendering control to God literally makes you nervous. I don't know if that's you, but me saying, Lord, I surrender all. I give you my heart. I give you my life. You are my God. I want to worship you. Take over every part of my life and my heart. That scares some people. You know why I know that? Because it scared me. You know that song that we sing? I surrender I couldn't sing that song for the longest. Because I'm like, man, what am I saying? Am I willing to surrender it all to Jesus? There was a part of me that knew that, man, if I sing that and if I give Jesus complete surrender, if I give him my whole heart and I give him my whole life, there's a part of me that I know that I had to relinquish. I had to get off the throne of many things in my life that I had promoted, that I had put up, that I had glorified above God. And I knew that there was only one king and one king that could take throne in my life. How many of you are King Herods today? It's time to make a choice to surrender to Jesus this year. It's time to make the choice to surrender to Jesus this month, this season in your life. I'm encouraging some people to bring every area of rebellion and surrender them to Jesus this morning. See, I want to debunk something today. Surrendering isn't giving up something. It's giving in to Jesus. It's not giving up your pride. It's not giving up. It's giving in your pride. It's, it's surrendering. It's, it's turning it in. It's saying, God, I just don't need this anymore. I know it's better in your hands. Come on, am I talking to somebody here today? Every bit of your life that you refuse to surrender to God, I'm telling you, you're exposed to the enemy. Every bit that you don't give up to God, it could be a potential threat to yourself and other people around you. There's a reason every prisoner that walks into jail is patted down and he surrenders everything he has. Am I talking to somebody? Because if he does not, they go through every crack and crevice in his body. He has to cough it out 10 times because they know that anything that does not belong in that prison, in that jail, in confinement, will allow him to hurt himself or hurt other people around him. That's why there there are people that get into legal trouble that have to surrender their passports because the people that are holding them accountable and they're surrendering to want to make sure that they don't flee, they don't leave. There's something about surrender that makes you say, you know what, I don't want to go my way. Some of y'all need to surrender your passports to God. Some of y'all need to surrender your will to God in saying, God, every single time I want to get up and run away from situations, every time I want to get up and escape from situations, let me surrender it to you, God, Because in your presence, when I can surrender it all, I know that there's no escape. I know that there's no getting out. I know that there's one person in front of me. So let me remind you, every bit of your life that you refuse to surrender to God, you expose to the enemy. There was one group of these people. There was this one one group is this phony group of people. It's this man, phony man called Herod. I pray that we don't have any phony worshipers here. Here's a man that looks at them and says, hey, when you hear, right, he's hearing everybody saying, hey, so he calls all his chief priests and says, hey, where's this guy? And then he calls these wise men and he says, when you find out where he is, you let me know. Like, what is your, what is the reason that you worship God today? Is your your worship phony worship? Like, his intention was not to go and worship him in spirit and in truth. His intention was not to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Messiah and the promised Savior. That was not his intention. Church, I'm telling you something and I want to be very clear. 
If your intention Sunday after Sunday and every single time you approach the presence of God is not to worship the risen king, to worship the savior of the world, to worship Jesus Christ and exalt him above your life and be lost in worship, it only falls in one category and it's called phony worship. I don't want us to be caught up in phony worship. Real authentic worship is where you know who you're worshiping, why you're worshiping, and you know what God is getting through worship and what is happening to you in worship. If your life is not being changed and transformed, if God is not moving and changing and transforming things in your life, man, something is wrong about that formula of worship. And then there's a second group of people, the religious group of people. Is your worship religious? Because in verse number five, the Bible talks about these chief priests and scribes and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, listen to this. They didn't say, let's go pray about it and get back to you. I want you to catch this. They, they don't say, let me go back into my books. No, 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 they don't miss a bat. They immediately respond and say, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, they're quoting Micah, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Like, where is he born? They have the answer. It's in Bethlehem of Judea. They instantly knew where Jesus was supposed to be born. It was written. These were the temple bigwigs, man. These were the temple honchos. These were the guys that were learned. These were the guys that knew the scripture inside out. They could quote the scripture, but they, they didn't want to go and check it out. I'm, I'm going to talk to a group of people this morning. Y'all ready for this? Uh-oh. I'm going to step on some toes this morning because this is important. Like Bethlehem was one of the suburbs of Judea. Literally a five-mile walk. Okay? A five-mile walk. And I'm not talking about a 5K run. That's not what I'm, not even a 5K walk. I'm, I, I'm, I'm talking about literally a five-mile walk. This is, this is it, it's so simple to get from where they were to where Jesus was, was promised to be. They were aware of this sign because all of Jerusalem were disturbed together. They've been hearing these guys going from door to door asking people, where is this son? Where is this was Jesus that's born? Where is the promise? Where is the king of the Jews? And they know that these prophecies have been said. King Herod confirms the news that they've been picking up from the streets as well. But they didn't go, to, go down to Bethlehem to see for themselves because they were complacent. They were okay with just knowing about this Jesus and not doing anything about this Jesus. The magi, the wise men, they've been traveling for months. But these, dude didn't, these dudes didn't want to travel five miles. They didn't want to walk five miles to go and see this Jesus. You know, in, in Amos chapter 6 and verse, verse 1, there's this verse that says, Woe to those who are complacent in Zion. Complacency is from the enemy, church. Complacency is not from God. See, they wanted the scripture, but they didn't want the savior. They, they liked the idea of Jesus, but they didn't want to really know what Jesus would do. As long as they can preach about him and teach about him and tell their kids about him and train Sunday school kids about him and, 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 and then do their religious duties, they were good. They were making a buck off him, but hey, guess what? Jesus has finally come and they don't care about him. Ooh. You would think that the Jewish people who were led by these religious leaders would be excited to welcome this Jesus. You would think that these guys would be the ones that would walk all around the city and says, guys, don't fear. Don't be afraid. This is the moment that we've been waiting for. Come on, somebody. But the leaders, the dudes that had to stand up and say, whoa, this is the promised time. This is what we've been waiting for. Revival is about to come. These are the ones that are chickening out and saying, oh, I don't know. why? Because they're religious. Any place where the religious spirit conquers Jesus' spirit and the power of Jesus, man, let me tell you in all honesty, I'll tell you in all honesty, the religious spirit will always choke and constrict the flow of God's anointing on his people. Huh. 
Because I would think when they heard about Jesus or even the inkling that Jesus was around, they would run to Jesus. Nope. They were interested in the rules, but they're not interested in the ruler. They were interested in scripture, but not the savior. They were interested in in the ministry, but not in the Messiah. It's one of these attitudes where I know all about Jesus, but I don't feel the need to worship him. Things were about to change and they didn't want that change. They knew all about this Messiah, but they did not know this Messiah. See, more than the Bible, I want to know the author of the Bible, church. Like that's my thing this morning is more than the scripture that you know and more than the scripture verses that you know. That's the same boat that these guys were in. They did not want to know Jesus. How many of you read books? Anybody here read books? Y'all are book readers? Okay. How many of you guys that lifted up your hands actually take a moment, or, or how many of you are like me? You skip the first page and the second page, the forward and the about the author. Anybody read that page? Nope. Alana, you read that page, right? Nope. Prince, you definitely read that page. No? Why? Who cares? I want the story. I want the story. That's all I care about. And maybe I'll go to a reading and get the autograph. Oh, I got an autograph. But no one cares about the, the, the author. No, I don't. You know what I'm saying? But the content is so powerful. And, and God's looking at some of us and saying, no, the word is different, y'all. You can't approach it like a fiction or a nonfiction book. The author is more important than, than the verses that are in there. The verses are important and that, are, that those are God-breathed and those are scriptures from God. But all that's great. But unless and until you know the author and know who he is, you will never understand the message because without the author, the message is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Huh. In John 5, 39 and 40, the Bible says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and to have life. Jesus repeats that throughout his ministry. He's like, man, you did this the day I was born and you continue to do this? Like y'all are ignorant, y'all are crazy, come on. And God's like, y'all are religious and the spirit of religiosity should crumble down and break down because I pray that we will raise up a generation of worshipers who don't care about the knowledge and the, the filling themselves up with verses and as long as I know the stories and as long as my kids know the stories, we're good. No, 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 it's not the knowledge of God. It is, it is God himself experience and encounter with God that what matters more than anything else in life. Oh, Jesus, he says, you refuse to come to me to have life. Here's the thing, the chief priests and the scribes gave the right information, but they had the wrong response. Am I talking to somebody? Like they knew the stuff. They knew, like so many of us know what revival is. Like we know what healing is. We know what the Bible says about healing and breakthrough and deliverance and and all of that good stuff. We know it all. But when it comes to us, I'd rather rely on myself. I'd rather have this religious spirit of just knowing about Jesus, not believing really that God is my provider and God can bring breakthrough. But what is your response? True worshipers not only know, but they respond to God. Respond in attitudes. Respond in how you worship him here on a Sunday. Not just standing there and doing nothing. My Jesus deserves your praise, y'all. If Dak Prescott, you know, deserves you, yay, and jumping up and down, and Luca, you know, deserves your high fives and your excitement, y'all, Jesus needs all that and some more from you. I told y'all, I'm going to step on some toes this morning. Some of y'all are not going to like this message. We know enough of the Bible stories and we know stuff, but we don't want to obey it. We don't want to follow through on it. See, we're living in this generation that has been inoculated with this mild form of Christianity so as to render them immune with the real thing. We're okay with that. We're complacent. We're like, yeah, it's fine. It's whatever. 
No, it's not whatever. It's, it's, it, this is serious stuff, y'all. This is serious stuff. Like, I'm praying that we as a church will not be apathetic or afraid to follow Jesus as the teachers of the law and the scribes and these chief priests were, but we will be passionate and on fire for Jesus. When I talk to you, I want to see fire in your eyes. When I talk to you, I want to see a man and a woman of prayer and trust and faith. Not a, eh, whatever. I'm tired of that Christianity. I'm tired of the whatever mentality, church. I'm, I can't do that anymore. Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon. And I don't want us to be caught up in that whirlwind of, oh, he is? Where, where, where? What's, what's, when is Jesus? What, what, what are the signs? Oh, I, these are the signs, but... He may just pass right through us and the, the, the clouds may be rendered open and the skies may be rendered open and we'll be just standing over here saying, yeah. In Matthew 7, 7, he says, seek and you will find. In Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, you will seek me and you will find me when you, you, you seek me with all your heart. It's a song we sang today. Lord, shake up the ground of all my tradition. Lord, break down the walls of my religion. Am I talking to somebody that needs to identify what they're struggling with and what they're dealing with today and say, God, break it down, Lord. Take it down, Lord. I don't want to deal with this anymore, God. Would you deal with this in a way that you can give me the ability, God, to be able to not be complacent anymore? And then you encounter this, the third group of people. The Magi. In verse 10, the Bible says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. How many of us are rejoicing about what God is doing in our churches today? How many of us are rejoicing when a soul comes to Jesus? How many of you are rejoicing when God is, God is doing things in people's lives? How many of us are rejoicing with them? Here are a group of men, they sacrificed much to worship Jesus. They traveled probably in caravans of camels, crossing forests and rivers and nations and deserts to worship this king that they've been following and hearing about from the time of Daniel. And apathy is not their emotion, and apathy is not their response, and nonchalant is not their response. It's a Jesus is here. Let's go do something about this. I'm sorry, y'all, I get passionate about this because Jesus and the message of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus isn't some boo-boo story. It is the word of God. It is the hope for mankind. And unless and until you have wise men and women that pursue and seek God with everything you got, the world will not see Jesus. You know what's normal? Normal is Jerusalem should be afraid the moment you start knocking on their door saying, do you know Jesus? That should be the response of our nation that fear of God should fill their hearts. The fear of God should fill them to know that. Should I know about this Jesus? Should I? Yes, you should. You do, because let me tell you what I think about this Jesus. This Jesus is the Savior of the world. This Jesus was the promised Messiah from time immemorial. Prophets have prophesied about him, and he's coming back soon. We need some wise men and women. That won't stop knocking. Every time you see a sign, every time you see a star, every time you open the word and God gives you a sign, don't even waste a minute to go share it with somebody around you. They sacrificed a lot, but I can't talk to my coworker because it's awkward. Poor you. I can't go up to that guy in Walmart that God has asked me to go up to and pray for because people might think that would be weird. Wow. Wow, that's a spirit of apathy, y'all. But the Bible says they walk up to him, they worshiped him, and then they gave him gifts. They gave themselves first before they gave what they brought. This has to be a principle. See, God wants your heart first, 
I understand that, you know, your tithing and your offering is awesome. And, you know, aristocrats always brought a gift to the ancient king. When they went to visit kings, they always brought a gift to them. And, and gold was a common gift. So here they come bearing gifts and gold was one of the gifts. And, and I don't want to get into the depth of all these things because it's beautiful, but we don't have the time for that. And, and Joseph and Mary, they were dirt poor. I don't know if you know that. They were dirt poor. They could afford, uh, a, when they went to the temple, you remember they take two turtle doves? That's what the poorest of the poor would take. They were broke. They were two young kids just past their teenage years. They were broke. But this would give them the financial capability to be able to fund the trip to Egypt. Man, God is providing for them in such amazing and meticulous ways. See, and, and, and we were just talking about this, Eric, just, just the other day at Taco Tuesday. And for those men who missed Taco Tuesday, you missed a lot, y'all. Just saying, but, going back to this, tacos got me for a second. But, Eric, Eric and I and Jensen, we, we were all talking about this. We are talking about, men here at Commission, we don't talk about money as much. We, don't, we, we really don't. We encourage giving. We encourage people to give. I had, I had somebody that was super upset that we don't pass communion. Sorry, not communion. We don't pass uh, offering plates around this place. I said, no, we don't, we don't spend too much of time on that. If people give, they give. And, and, and I know, like, like people have the ability. They, they have the, we don't talk about that. Like, like That's something that we just don't do. We're not afraid to talk about it. right? We have some of the most sacrificial givers here at, at Commission Church. And I, I'm, I'm not for a second argue with that at all. We don't give because we pound it into them. We don't, they don't give because we constantly talk about it in church or we encourage people. No, 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 we don't. They give because they are wise seekers who have this deep understanding of King Jesus and the place of Jesus in their lives. That's why they give. And we have dedicated people that give month, week after week, month after month. And we are called to give with joy, not out of force, not out of guilt. Not because, man, I got to give to the church or I got to give my offerings and I got to give to tithe. But they bowed down and they submitted everything to him. And sometimes that's pride. That's not, that's, sometimes that's your will. My question this morning is, how costly is your worship? How costly is the worship of your king? Like, to the king. You know what David says, right? David says that he won't sacrifice anything to the Lord that costs him nothing. That's what David says. And I find that a beautiful passage of scripture. If you're worshiping and it doesn't cost you anything, there's a problem with that equation. Like, have we got stuck in a rut with our worship of Jesus and it might be just mouthing words and going through the motions, but our hearts, it's far away from Jesus. These may have been foreign pagans, not even Jews, not even born into the lineage, not even their king, but I'm going to make a statement. I want you to hear me loud and clear. Are you ready for this? Broken sinners do a better job at coming to the feet of Jesus than regular Christians that boast of their Christian lineage and their heritage. Some of the people that I admire the most in Christianity are men and women that never were born into Christian families, never had a Christian upbringing, but they found Jesus. They fell in love with Jesus. They came into a relationship with Jesus. And it's so hard for them to let go of this Jesus because encounter led to relationship. Not tradition and not I was born into a Christian family, hence relationship. Oh, you missed a, you missed a part. <laughs> you missed a part. Yeah, I was born, but then unless you encounter somebody, you can never have a relationship with them. And so many Christians are, me are skipping the encounter part and jumping from, I get it. My parents were it. I am it. So I have a relationship. Now you don't. You have an idea of a relationship. You don't have a relationship. Relationship does not come without encounter of the Messiah. It does not. 
And that is why the chief priests and the, and the scribes did not have what the wise men, the pagans, and the ones that did not have any connection with the king of the Jews, the encounter they had changed their life forever. And the Bible says they came one way, they left another way. They changed them completely. And my question this morning is, are you a joyful worshiper? When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. You stand up to your feet this morning. <laughs> that phrase is super important. There's nothing you've taken back today. Take this. Okay? This is the question I want you to ask. Is my worship joyful? Is my worship genuine? Is my worship authentic? Am I coming on a Sunday morning and am I feeling empty when I leave? There's a problem with that. If I come on a Sunday morning and if I worship in my private time, if I worship Jesus, if I have an intimate moment of worship and if nothing happens to me, I don't know what the authenticity of that worship was. Worship should change. It must change. It, it, it has to change you. Worship should be the result, or, or sorry, joy should be the result of worship, and joy should be the reason of worship. It's beautiful. Worship is the only thing that has joy at both the, the, the result as well as the reason. You worship because of joy, in joy, through joy, and when you worship, it produces more joy. See, when worship is deceptive, when, dis when worship is phony, when worship is, is religious, when worship is superficial, joy is uncertain and is absent. But when worship is genuine and authentic, joy is obvious and abundant. I'm going to repeat that. And here it is. When worship is deceptive and superficial, joy is uncertain and absent. But when worship is genuine and authentic, joy is obvious, it's abundant, it's overflowing. People are looking at you and saying, man, why are you smiling all the time? Why are you so joy? Like why? Like everything is falling apart and you're still smiling through the storm. Yep, I have Jesus. And I worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm going to give you three things to take away from this. You ready for this? Three things. These men met God in the midst of their work. This is what they did for work. This is what they did for living. Your work, the busyness of your life, your career, your children, your business is not a good reason for you not to worship Jesus. Authentic worshipers will find Jesus even in the most busiest and will make time for Jesus even in the most busiest of schedules. Don't tell me you don't have time for Jesus because children and because work and because this. You won't go to your work and say you don't have time because of this and this and this. But you have reasons always for Jesus. But no matter how esteemed and no matter how, you know, esteemed they were and read they were and scientists they were and astrologers and mathematicians they were, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And if you are guilty of not giving Jesus the preeminence because your children have taken that time, karate has taken that time, a soccer has taken that time, a volleyball practice has taken that time, I'm sorry if I sound like an old school traditional preacher but I'm telling you something seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you success and fame and fortune and treasure and blessing will have and find its way when you and I know how to put Jesus at the center in the front of our lives think of me what you may but that's my stance 
There's one lesson my dad always taught me when I asked him, hey, can I do this and this and this instead of church and instead of worship and instead of this? He would always repeat to me and he would say, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And there's nothing I lack today. There's absolutely nothing I lack today because I chose Jesus. And I need some bold parents in the face of this culture that tells you that if you don't do this for your kids, or if you don't do this, or if you don't act this way, or if you don't, if, if, if this, t- is this much time is not, no, 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 no. Trust me, bring them to church on Wednesdays. Let them be in the presence of God. I love it when parents bring their kids on a Wednesday night in service over here. Let them make noise. Let them be on the pews. But worship God with your family. There's power in that. Stop making excuses. I'm sorry if I'm hurting people's feelings this morning. Can I go on? Uh Uh-oh. Point number two. If the wise men can find Jesus, then so can you. They cross barriers, and like I said, rivers and countries and deserts. And threats, religious barriers, racial barriers. It wasn't easy for them to find Jesus, but they did. And if they found him, so are you. And I don't know where you are in life or what crossroads you are and what is not giving you the ability to believe and trust in this Jesus, but I'm telling you this. It doesn't matter what your religious background, it doesn't matter where you are spiritually and how far you are from Jesus and no matter how physically or spiritually distant you are from Jesus, take the time and find Jesus. Take the time and seek Jesus. These men were traveling for at least five months before they found Jesus. And you know what? They lost their way because the star disappeared so at, at a moment. And they were like, where is he, where is he, where is he? Don't stop finding Jesus. Don't stop seeking Jesus because you don't see tangible and visible signs of him. That you don't feel him. Still keep knocking. And there's somebody that needs to hear this word today. You're trying to give up because you just don't feel Jesus. And sometimes you don't, but God sometimes waits for opportune moments to reveal things in your life. And the Bible says, when the star appeared, they rejoiced greatly. If they could find him, you can find him. And this is my last thing is this. If God can use a star to reach these astrologers, then he can use anything to reach you. Absolutely anything. Do not despise any person, any body, any individual, any any, anything, do not discount. My God used a donkey in the Old Testament. My God can use anything and everybody. Do not discount it. My God can reveal himself in some amazing and phenomenal ways. If you're struggling with your faith today, if you're struggling with your walk with Christ today, I want to encourage you today. Do not lose hope. My Jesus pursues you. There are times that he will shine that star and you will see him and you will see signs. But my trust in Jesus is beyond that. He said it and he will do it. The word says that he is, so he is. I don't need him to keep proving himself over and over and over again. The seeker will seek and God will reveal that's his job. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.